What was the good news to them? Think about that for a moment. Think about um, what the gospel was. Many people were awaiting the coming of the Messiah, right? Very specifically, you had individuals that came from the east because they saw the signs in the stars and they were looking for an individual that they considered to be the savior of the world. Now that's a very abstract kind of high level concept. To them it had some very specific meaning. This was going to be the king that threw off the shackles of whatever government that they were under, whatever oppression that they were under, And certainly that's what Jesus meant. A lot of them were mistaken in the sense that that this individual is going to be a very earthly kind of domain, a very, very earthly uh, kingdom, if you will. What is the good news to us? What is the burden that we are trying to throw off, the oppression that we're trying to get out from under? Think about that. Because that's the answer that you have to give to someone else for the hope that is within you. That, what is the good news of Jesus today? It hasn't really changed, obviously, but some of the concepts have changed. What kind of oppression are we under? Well, to someone living in America today, there's not a lot of oppression. We live in a very, very affluent country, very free country. There's very few things up until maybe a couple of years ago that we felt like we needed. And so what is, what is the good news to, to us today? I'm specifically asking you to think about that because you need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you. And you can see how that good news changed people's lives then. They were waiting for it, searching for it. What are we searching for just think about your life, think about your friend's life, your neighbor's life, your coworker's life. Do you feel like they're searching for anything? Sometimes not. Sometimes they're completely uh, satisfied with everything that life has to offer. Look for those that aren't. That will be the soil in which you can um, sow the good news, the gospel. So, we started in chapter 1. Um, Chris's intent was to get through uh, 16 and 17. We'll go ahead and read that real quick. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous by faith will live. At the end of class... I want you guys to understand what happens when you deny that God is at the beginning of it all. So that's the goal for today's class. You should be able to think about and identify what happens when you reject God as the creator, when you reject him as the savior, as the supplier of all things. And so uh, as we look at this, We spend, and this is a very powerful verse here in verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it. It is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. So he's talking about where the power of God is. And that um, the righteousness of God is revealed. 
and 16 and 17. And then the rest of the chapter, he talks about the complete opposite of that. Um, so how, and, and this, is, this is where class participation begins. I had a long intro. I apologize for that. Uh, how does the gospel reveal God's righteousness? How does the good news reveal God's righteousness? It's, it's a little wordy, right? <laughs> but break it down. There is something about that good news. There's something about Jesus coming and defining a new kingdom that reveals the righteousness of God. Uh, Josh, uh, right over here. And then Brad. shows us how we can be made right in God's eyes. Very good, friend. I think maybe um, that uh, that question isn't readily apparent um, in just asking it. Um, and I think maybe that's why he mentions that the prophets talked about it beforehand. Because when you read the prophets, uh, like Isaiah, who said, um, you know, you bring good news to Zion, go up to a high mountain, you bring good news to Jerusalem, lift your voice with a shout, uh, don't be afraid, say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power, he rules with a mighty arm, his reward is with him, his recompense accompanies him, he tends his flock like a shepherd, gathering his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And then, I mean, you can read all of Isaiah. That's Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in his hand? Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, when you read that and you see that good news and then you fast forward to when Jesus comes and all of that now is in fruition, Oh, there's this great king who brings great power. He's bringing reward, recompense to all of our enemies. Uh, he will be our shepherd, and he's going to take us up. When you, you see that picture, that is good news, that that guy has come. Absolutely. Very, very well said, Brad. And uh, it's a terrible analogy, but it's the quickest one that I have in my brain right now. I really love heist movies. Uh, it's a guilty pleasure. Uh, anytime you see a heist come together with all the players and you at the end of the movie you're like wow how did they do that right and it's incredible to me to think that there were generations and generations of a nation living under God's rule and then ultimately seeing the fulfillment they thought they were the fulfillment 
And yet, Jesus arrives on the scene to expose all of God's righteousness, his full plan executed, all coming down to, to God being among men, if you will. Yes. The first thing it shows us is that we're, we're broken. You can't, the gospel won't do anyone any good unless you realize you're Yes. Broken. Yep. Absolutely. Very, very good. I can't help but think of uh, Exodus 34, where Moses wanted to see uh, God, and he is described uh, in, in that passage. Uh, that I, I think in, in looking at the gospel, we see God's character. Uh, God's righteousness, God's character is seen in uh, his forgiveness, his lovingness, and what he's done to make us righteous. Very good. Absolutely. Um, uh, yes, go ahead. Also, he says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So it's, it's, he's revealed through us when we, and through the Jews and the Gentiles when the, they went from law of trying to save themselves mm-hmm. to his faith of that we can only be saved through him. So when we move from there to fully trusting in him, and his death, burial, resurrection, and how we can, our faith lies in that, then we show his righteousness going from our own self-saving faith to him saving us. Absolutely. Very good. Yeah, uh, uh, all excellent comments. And I, um, and I think about, Tommy had given a lesson, uh, and it was, it was on Exodus, and how the people were... Um, you know, couldn't even go to the mountain. They were terrified. They were terrified. And I, th- I think so often how nice it would be to, to see God face to face. And I wish I could have a conversation. And that's incredible. And yet I couldn't handle it. And yet we see the fulfillment of this plan. His, his compassion, his mercy, mercy and his righteousness in him being among his creation. And so that is good news. The God that we could not approach, fear of death is now accessible, available among us. Luke. Yeah, I think when you think of God's righteousness in the context of the original story, it's all the The whole point of it was like a covenant, right? Israel, I'm going to do this tonight here. We're going to do our part. God will do his part. But we didn't do our part. And so God came in and did his part. And then he sent the Jew to do our part. So God did both parts. Yeah. And if we think of it that way, it makes a lot more sense. Our unrighteousness shows his righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really good, right? Like, it's shining much brighter in the, in, the, in the notion that we could not fulfill our bargain. We could not fulfill our covenant. And so the contrast of us not and him being able to do both absolutely expresses uh, his righteousness. I, sh- I really like the, the New Living Translation uh, version of verse 17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Uh, as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I really like that. You know, you read faith to faith, faith of faith, or faith for faith. There's a lot. There's a couple different ways to translate that there. And the, the notion is from start to finish. It was always about faith. It was always about faith. All right. Question number one, uh, if you were able to kind of look over uh, some, of the, some of the questions that were sent out. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and read verses uh, 18 down through 23. For the, so we just talked about how the righteousness of God is revealed, um, how it's God's power. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed, right? Have the righteousness revealed, but we also have the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Because what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, because they are understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Question number one, how does unrighteousness suppress the truth? This is a, for me, this is an interesting visual, right? In performing unrighteousness that you're, you're holding down, you're suppressing truth. What are your thoughts on question number one? Either way, right? And so what that tells me is that there isn't a ton of middle ground, right? There is, there is it's this constant balance. And when one is heavier, one is lighter, etc. right? Like as you perform one, as you do one, uh, then the other uh, is offset by that. Um, th this idea of truth being held at bay, being suppressed or being held down by acts of unrighteousness um, and I asked you, and I would totally agree, and that's the abstract concept that we're talking about. What does that look like in real life? And um, I asked you to think about that uh, a little bit. And while you're thinking of that, go to John 11. Gave you dominion, then you go. Oh, okay. So everything. 
everything in this life is to be my servant. I use it to glorify my God. So whether it's uh, my time, that is my servant, not my master. Whether it's my treasure or whatever desire it is, whether it's my cell phone or uh, my computer, those are all things that should be my servant that I use to glorify God. And God gave me that to be my servant. He gave everything. And if we instead take those things and worship them, serve them, bow down to them, then we have exchanged the purpose that God gave us to glorify Him. And then we go, oh, I've, my fleshly desires, I've got to, if, I, if there's no God in my world, you, then that's my God. Right. Or, right. or whatever it is, live as long as I possibly can. I've got to eat as healthy as I possibly can. And because that's my God, I, I have to live as long as I can. That's all I want. <laughs> uh, so that, to me, uh, just typifies this passage. Very good. And, and consider, too, the audience, right? You have Jews who've never had a problem believing there was a God, right? And you have another group of people that absolutely diluted the notion of a God to the point where there wasn't a God, if you will, right? And, and we're, we're going to build on this over time, um, but I, I absolutely think that the reason why this is a deal is because it's the foundational principle. And Brad, you, you drew that out in the sense that if I believe there is a God, everything flows, all of my behavior flows from that concept. Well, the inverse is true. If I don't, there's all of this behavior, and we're going to talk about all of this behavior that stems from the notion that there wasn't this prime mover, this, this authority, if you will. And so consider this concept of suppressing the truth um, as maybe some sort of truth you were exposed to, but you cast it aside to do whatever you want. You knew that truth. You held that truth. And now I'm just holding it down to do whatever I want, right? Um, in, in my mind, one of the strongest examples... Um, if, uh, Luke, are you in John 11? Go to John 11, because the microphone's coming your way. <laughs> and I want you to read, um, I'll just, just for some context, we know this is Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Start at verse 43 and go to 48, please. could not deny it. That was the truth. That was the power that Jesus had. And they were working to suppress it, to hold it down. Because what were they worried about? 
our sanctuary, our nation, not God's, mine. This is mine. And so they saw a miracle, and not just one miracle, many miracles. This, in my opinion, would have been a very, very powerful miracle. And so they suppress the truth by unrighteousness. And so uh, Paul is, is about to build on this. Uh, as we kind of con- uh, continue down, uh, we see in verse 20, For the since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature, they have been clearly seen, clearly seen to a point that there is no excuse. And, and hopefully I move quick enough to talk about this a little bit more. But one of the questions that I had, question number two, was what is your favorite aspect of nature? Um, even if you're not an outdoor kind of individual, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about maybe it's something that you love about your job. Maybe it's something that you love about technology. Maybe it's something that you love about nature. All of those things were created by God. What is it about that that compels your brain to know there's something that started this? And as you think about that, I will get to you in just a second. Mine is trees. I, there's just something about trees. I absolutely love trees. I love that when you get up close to a tree and you look at the branches, they look chaotic, don't they? They're just kind of shooting off everywhere. And then you step back, and there's this perfect shape. And every tree has a different kind of shape. Who told that tree to stop growing right there so that it looked like this? Right? Or, or this? And as you look real close, it doesn't look like there was any really uniform, but there's order brought out of chaos in that design. The other one is DNA, but that's a really, really long discussion, so. Uh, well, everything that may seem simple is so very complex. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and like, uh, it demands a design. There's no way around it, no matter what you look at, trees, flower, a weed, whatever. There's design behind it all. Absolutely. Very, very good. Yes? And along with the obvious design is it never quits giving. So all the time that I spend in nature, I still find something yes. a new gift all the time, which reminds me of God's infinity and goodness always. I love that so much, and you just, you just uh, one of my points was that um, Jade and I have been taking walks at night, and uh, recently, Jupiter and Saturn have been more visible than they have been in decades, right? You look up, and you see this really bright pinpoint of light, and, the, and there's Jupiter, and, um, and I, I, I was in awe of that, because you have Jupiter and you have Saturn, two points of light in the sky that are 450 million miles away. And I can see both of them. And it's kind of mind-blowing, the scale at which this operates, right? And then think of what we know about Jupiter. It's massive. The, the, the storm on that, the, the eye, like, can contain our planet. So it's massive. But it's beautiful. It was beautiful before we knew it was beautiful. So, the, the more that you dig into creation, the more beauty unfolds. It's just infinite, right? And so, I totally agree. I really, really like that. Um, Bob, you were going to... Yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> and with this beauty, uh, I think 
but it's insignificant alongside the Creator. Mm -hmm. And it is not to be worshipped. Right. Right. Oh, you know, wonderful. We see that in this text very powerful. Yes. And then in the days all these things will be destroyed because God will have achieved his purpose. He'll have his people around his foot. I really love that. And you're absolutely right. I mean, as enamored as I am with nature and, and how people can be, it is insignificant. It is a shadow, right, of the, of the capabilities of God. Nature is a shadow of morality. It explains the order of things and what happens when the order is upset in things. Um, one should be able uh, to look at nature uh, and comprehend that it was set in place by something. So... Um, the order was made and put in motion before man was created. Does that make sense? It was introduced before we were here so that we can't say something like, oh, God introduces the problem of sin just so he can take it away. He set those things in motion before he created man. The laws of math and physics apply here and everywhere else. And so they were already set in order. So whenever anyone is enraptured, enamored, or in awe of something beautiful in this life, it is always because of God's handiwork, even if they don't know it. And it's our job to, to show it. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. They, um, <clears throat> even though they don't know it, it is our job to kind of show them where this infinite beauty comes from. It is in God's nature to design beautiful and extraordinary things because he always designs with wisdom. And everything designed like this cannot help but be beautiful or terrible or awesome because he has put an order to these things. I'm trying to decide if we have time. Um, see, we go till 915, is that right? What's that? 9.15. I have a five-minute video that, that I find very interesting. So I ask you to, or for fun, if you were able to go and take a look uh, at that video. It's a, it's a rather long video, um, but I've tried to get about a five-minute excerpt. And the idea is about... Mathematical fractals. I'm not going to go into a bunch of details, but it's this concept where you have infinitely repeating patterns. Um, and that is uh, kind of displayed also in nature. So.
brush off the car, yeah, the beautiful, and the fractal. They don't repeat exactly, but nonetheless, the six-fold symmetry continues to match how much you zoom in. And so it's hard to tell the size of a snowflake unless you have something to compare it to, because the map is always looks kind of the same. That's, that's the characteristic of fractals. That's not the Arizona windows in the other eye. I was fascinated by this when I was a kid. Really, I still am. I think it's beautiful. Arizona windows in fractal shapes, quite lovely, in terms of the way they repeated branch and branch and branches and so on. Ferns are fractal. Because you see, ferns have a stem. And they have another stem growing off of that, and another stem growing off of that, and the little leaflets, and so on. They branch and branch and branches and branch and branches and branches. I found a fractal broccoli. So I guess broccoli is good for something after all. There you go. Broccoli is good for broccoli, they call that. And you can see it's kind of a cone shape, and it's got cones growing on it, and cones growing on cones, and small and small scales. Fractal. Isn't that fascinating? Too bad it tastes horrible. Coastlines are often fractal. Coastlines, the way they branches you know, they branch and branches and so on. Mountaintops are fractal. You look at them from above, they, they kind of branch and branch and branches. And so on. clouds tend to be fractal. They don't repeat exactly, but I'm looking at the entire sky or I'm looking at one very small section of the clouds, hard to tell. Because the same kinds of patterns repeat. The way lightning branches is fractal. Because you have a main bolt that branches into smaller bolts, which branch into smaller ones and so on. And so uh, lightning is very beautiful, and because it has that fractal quality to it. And it's really neat too when you watch it in a super slow motion, you can see how it branches out with all these different branches. That's a fractal until the leader connects and then most of the current goes down the leader. Uh, quite fascinating. So here's my question then. Why do fractals occur both in math, which exists in the mind, it's conceptual, and in the physical world, which is made of that, it does not exist in your mind. Right? And you have this shape that's a multi-rod that exists only in the conceptual world of mathematics. You can plot it. You can never touch that thing because it's not physical. It's not made of bats. But that one that is, and they look remarkably similar. This particular shape here is part of the metal rod set, which I pull the lightning, but it's not made of atoms. This one is. How is it that conceptual things that exist only in the mind also occur in the physical universe? This particular shape, that might look like a plan that's actually a mathematical graph called largely firm. And largely firm is such that each leaflet is the entire shape. Let me show you. Isn't that interesting? Do it again just because it's cool. See, the entire shape, each leaflet is the entire shape. Fascinating. You can't touch that though. It doesn't exist in the physical world, but that does. It's very similar. Uh, this stuff right here, that's a mathematical graph, that doesn't exist in the physical world, but that grows on windows. This particular mathematical shape, cones on cones, it does not exist in the physical world. Whereas this, unfortunately, does. This particular shape, that's part of the metal set, it's about spiral. You can't see that in the telescope, because it's not made of atoms, it doesn't exist physically either. So that one you can look, you can see in a small telescope. The whole galaxy, not too far off from a big dipper. So, how is it that math, which is conceptual, you find these shapes, and then in nature, which is physical, you find the same kinds of shapes? Why is that? Now, one answer to this, this and, and a skeptic might say, this is, well, the physical universe is based on mathematical laws. 
So it stands to reason that something can occur in that that can occur in the physical world because the physical world is found. Okay, I'll write that. But then I'm going to have to ask, why does the physical universe obey mathematical laws? And that is a stumper. It is not Christian. It is not Christian. And the Christian worldview, I think, makes sense of why the physical universe obeys math. Because the universe, the physical universe, is upheld by the mind of God, and God thinks mathematically. So it stands to reason that this universe will obey mathematical laws. Because God holds all things by the word of his power, the Bible says, and in him all things consist or hold together. God thinks mathematically, and therefore the way he upholds the universe will be mathematical. It's inevitable. I find that incredibly interesting. Uh, you know, and, and he said, well, certainly that's difficult to answer unless you're a Christian. And, and that was a long and very detailed talk about something that Paul simply said, there's no excuse. There's no excuse not to believe. And so uh, they, the invisible nature of God's wisdom is clearly seen, right? You see the contrast there. Um, and so uh, I want to spend a little bit more time on question number six, but question number five said, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. Paul said, there, there's no excuse to look around and realize something started this. Something. Something was behind this design. And so... Um, what does that mean they knew God? Does that mean they had a sense? Does that mean that, does this imply naivete? What is that? We got a hand over here. What does that mean that they knew God but didn't give him thanks? Was that a specific knowing? Was it a notion? They were given that. Absolutely. Uh, very good. You know, there, there's plenty of evidence here. I even think about man-made things that I find incredible and ingenious and innovative, and yet it all still points back, right? It's the creator of the creators in the sense that we were given the mind to be able to, we were given the materials, we were given the notion, all of that, and, and uh, in order to be able to <laughs> compose a fraction of what we see in nature. Yeah, Mark. I'm reminded of what Jesus said. Uh, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Yeah. yeah. Like I say, he that has eyes to see, let him see. But you keep going with that. 
Very good. Absolutely. Right. And, and um, it gets back to this notion of what is our good news today? What are we looking for today? What, not us specifically, but our society, the people around us, what are they searching for? How can they open their eyes? How can we help them open their eyes and take a look around and go, man, this is, there's so much more than I thought that there would be. Yeah. Absolutely. Really well put. And the emphasis here is, is they knew there was something. Eh, it's, it, it doesn't matter all that much. Right? Very good, Brad. And it uh, seems like the video you showed kind of um, debunks the, the myth that math is secular uh, and creation is uh, spiritual. Right? right? So you can do math Very good. That, there's two things there I want to touch on. In the, in the first, this idea of God setting eternity in our hearts, I, right? Like, our whole lives are based on the notion that we have a limited amount of time, right? That death, like everything that lives will die. And I remember someone calling sleep the little death, right? Because we totally lose consciousness, control, all of that thing. We're constantly reminded of the fact that there will, will come a time where you will not awake. And so all of life, and so we can comprehend some of those more eternal concepts, and we're, we're really wrapped into this really finite tent, if you will. And then the, the second part that you talked about, we're, uh, we're going to touch on, and just why we have, we have removed God from the equation yet. Shaped it into something. I don't know exactly what. 
idea that not only has he kind of given us creation but we we have domain like brad was talking about earlier in this and, and are allowed to shape and so we're given some control over the things that he's given us and if we don't point all of that thing all of the things that are subservient to us back to god a disconnect occurs and in second timothy 3 he says but understand this that in the last days difficult times will come for people will be lovers of themselves lovers of money boastful arrogant blasphemers disobedient to parents ungrateful unholy unloving irreconcilable slanderers without self-control savage opposed to what is good treacherous reckless conceited loving pleasure rather than god they will maintain the outward appearance of religion but have repudiated his power. Paul goes on to address all this cascading set of behaviors that kind of devolve when you disconnect the idea that there is a creator at the beginning all of this. Um, for although they knew God, they didn't glorify him, they didn't give thanks, and they became futile in their thoughts. The reality is there is a God at the beginning. That's the truth. And once you disconnect that truth, what happens to the rest of your thought processes? They become futile. You now suppress the truth by unrighteousness. God having to give them over to desires of their heart, to impurity, to, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's what happens when you remove God from the equation. You're giving up the truth for a lie. They worshiped and served the creation rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And likewise, the men also abandoned natural relations for women and were inflamed in their passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty of the error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a deprived mind. Goes back to this idea of, I'm either going to follow truth and suppress unrighteousness, or I'm going to follow the lie and suppress truth. And we see it play out in all manners of behavior. Um, we have a society now that cannot distinguish between love and sex. They can't separate those two concepts out. And what happens when you do that, because we're made to worship, we're going to inject any sense of sacredness into the corruptible. That's what happens when you don't put God as the author of all of this. We're made to worship. And if you don't worship God, you're going to inject that search for holiness, for sacredness, Somewhere, And the only place left to find it is in something that is finite, that is corruptible, that will break down. And now you have things where men will do things with men and women will do things with women, either because they just don't care or they can't even separate the concepts of sex and love, which I think is going on in our society. Those two things are separate and distinct things. And they are complementary, but they're not the same. And that's what happens when you remove the truth and suppress 
unrighteousness. Really the last question, and I think we probably got about 30 seconds, but, but uh, I was hoping for you to kind of look at this and look at the patterns of consequences. What happens when you remove God uh, from that? And so, talk, touched on it just a little bit. But now be looking. Be looking for those around you. What good news are they looking for? And <laughs> we'll get to that. And um, look at patterns of behavior to see if they indeed need to be pointed into the direction of, uh, of uh, an all-powerful being starting all of this. Thank you so much for your time today and your comments in class. Uh, I'll post the questions for the next class this evening.